All been there and done that, yeah. <laughs> Dress the mess, right? Hey, welcome all of you, all of our churches, all of those of you watching online. Today, as you've discovered, we're beginning a brand new series entitled Address the Mess, and we're excited to have our friend Matt Johnson from Kentucky here to kick off this series. But before he comes and shares with us, I want to take a moment and share with you the results of the commitments that you made to the Rise Up and Build Fund for our Chipley purchase of the land and the building there. Um, so last week, through last week, you guys have made commitments of uh, you gave over, well, up to through last week, you gave uh, over $110,000, and you committed to over $215,000 between now and the end of the year, which is a total of $325,000. So that is a great starting point to begin this whole process. So I just want to thank you for being a church that is committed to leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that you not only are concerned about leading the people in your communities, but even in surrounding communities uh, into a relationship with Jesus. And so thanks for consistently stepping up time and time again and being other people focused as a church. So thanks, thanks, thanks so much. Now, what I'd like for you to do at this point, go ahead and pull out your talk notes as Matt gets ready to come and share, but let me pray for us uh, before we do that. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you continue to give us as a church. And God, the latest opportunity of the opportunity to purchase land and, and uh, building there in Chipley and then eventually build a building there as well. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity. We just ask right now, God, because we declared this morning in song, and we declare that now through our prayers this morning, that we need you to lead us and guide us in this process. God, we've always uh, just wanted to just be faithful to what the next step that you give us as a church, and, and we just believe that's it, and we want to um, continue to have your leading as we go forward with this. But God, also, as we begin this series, address the mess, because God, we've all had them, we've all made them, and I just ask that you will come and speak to each of our hearts today as Matt shares from your word how that we do this, and then some solutions to this process. So God, thank you for being with us. Minister to our hearts right now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, welcome Matt as he comes and shares. Thanks, buddy. Hey, good morning, RCC. It is great to be back with you, and let me say welcome, especially those of you who may be here for the first time, or you don't consider yourself a church person, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you're exploring, you're trying to figure it out. You picked a great church to explore at, and you picked the perfect day to be here, because what we're going to be talking about today and throughout this series is something all of us have in common. This doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey. We can all relate to this, because all of us have stories, we all have experiences of having made a mess in our past, or some of us are in the middle of a mess right now, or, and all of us are one dumb decision away from making a mess in our future, aren't we? we? We've all got stories we can all share. When I talk about messes, I'm talking about things like this. We've all experienced uh, relational messes. There are different points where we've done that. You know what that feels like. You betrayed somebody, you offended somebody, you hurt somebody, you uh, you know, you create a rift of some kind. Boy, those are so hard to kind of put back together, and sometimes it's just next impossible to completely undo what's been done. But that can be so painful. Uh, there are financial messes. A lot of us have lived through those. A lot of us have created those. Those can be difficult, and sometimes you can eventually get everything put back together. Sometimes part of that lingers with you forever. There are academic messes. This one's fun. Some of you played the uh, game in school, the GPA game, How Low Can It Go?, and you discovered a lower than you thought. You were an overachiever. So 
You know what that's like. And the good news is most of the time with that, you know, you may have to spend a little more time there, but you eventually get that one straightened out. But every now and then, every now and then, that ends up costing you down the road if you're not careful. Uh, vocational messes, boy, those are challenging. Some of you are probably facing those right now because in your workplace, there's just, there's a, there's tension, there's difficulty, there's challenge. You can't figure out exactly how to navigate it. In some cases, there aren't any good options for how to navigate it. And we spend so much time at work that when you're dealing with messes at work, it's just, it's just frustrating. And, and people are like, well, just, you know, walk away and don't bring it home. That's impossible, isn't it? You, you can't hardly help but bring it home with you. It's just part of it. Um, well, we, if we had time and we were willing to tell stories, we could talk about dating messes, there, there are marriage messes, parenting messes, sexual messes. Those are painful. Matter of fact, I thought it would be good if we were just all transparent for a moment. So here's what I want you to do. And if you're at another campus or watching online, you got to play along, okay? I thought it would be good if we were just all honest for a moment. This will make us feel better. So if you're looking at this list and you're thinking to yourself, yep, I've created at least one of those messes in my past, I want you to raise your hand. Just go ahead, raise them up. Good. Y'all are honest people. I thought I might have to change my sermon to lying, but y'all, you all raised your hands. So congratulations. Now, some of you could have raised both hands because you have crushed this list, but you don't have to embarrass yourself and do that. Here's what I find interesting. The authors of the New Testament, they address our messes quite often. And I think the reason they addressed it is because it's just part of human nature, isn't it? It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, or even what your beliefs are faith-wise, all of us know what it feels like to create messes. And the New Testament authors had an explanation for why we do this. And I could sum up their explanation in one word that you're familiar with. It is this word right here, temptation. This is why we end up creating the messes we create. Temptation is why you have done things that you said you would never do. Why you have not done things that you said you would always do. Temptation is why, and this one's hard to admit, but we've all done it. Temptation is why you've done something, you made a mess, you've suffered the consequences, and you've said, well, I'll learn from that. I'll never again. And then just a little further down the road, you repeated the same thing over. We've done that, haven't we? It, the explanation, according to the authors of the New Testament, is temptation. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. James, who was the brother of Jesus and the leader of the first church there in Jerusalem, James wrote about this in a letter uh, to Christians there in the first century. And very early in his letter, he starts addressing the power of temptation and more importantly, how you overcome it, how you avoid it, how you address the messes in such a way that you don't have to keep making them over and over again. And I think he jumps into this so quickly in his letter because he just knew, you know, they were all dealing with it. It was impacting all of them, just like it impacts you and me. So let me show you what he wrote, and then we'll talk about how you avoid this and how to apply this in a really practical way. Here's what James wrote. He said, when tempted, which was his way of saying, do not be surprised when this happens because it happens to everybody. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, here's why he brought this up. Just a little earlier in his letter, he had been talking about the fact that God does sometimes test us, but there is a big difference between testing and tempting. Testing is designed to build us up. Tempting is designed to break us down. So testing is like this. Um, you can relate to this. When you go into the gym to work out, okay, what you're doing, well, 
That doesn't work because not everybody's done that. You know somebody who's gone into the gym to work out, right? So that's not going to play across the board. So you, we all know somebody. When somebody goes into the gym to work out, what are they doing? Well, yeah, they're testing their muscles. And the whole goal, the whole purpose of that is not to break them down so they're weaker on the other side. It's so they walk out and eventually they're stronger. Well, sometimes God allows circumstances or introduces situations into our lives to test us, not in a bad way, in a very positive way, to test us so that we come out on the other side with a stronger faith, with a more resilient faith, with a deeper trust. Temptation, that's never the goal. Temptation attacks our faith. Temptation criticizes our faith. Temptation is designed to weaken our faith. They're very different. So James says, all right, sometimes you go through things that test you. There's nothing negative about that. In the end, you always come out better for it. Temptation, though, it's very different. And then James begins to explain why temptation is so difficult for us as human beings to ignore, to resist, to overcome. And if you don't you know, get anything else today, I hope you'll lean in and get this next part. Because what James explains, he gives us an explanation for why. We've all done this. He gives us an explanation for why. We have found ourselves at moments in our lives about to make a decision, and we knew. Now, there are times that we don't know. There are times that we're oblivious to the temptation in front of us that we don't realize what's happening. But come on, we've all had times where we knew if I respond to this text, if I click on that, if I say yes and go with them, if I you know, move in, if I walk in, if I head over, if I purchase that, if I borrow for that, if I, if I, if I, we have all had moments where we knew if I do that, it is not gonna end well for me. If I do that, this is going to end up creating a lot of pain. This is going to create a mess. And in spite of the fact that we knew it on the front end, we still did it. How do you explain why as human beings, we would do something knowing it was not in our self-interest, but we didn't care. We did it anyway. Why would we self-sabotage like that? Well, James says part of it has to do with this. Here's what he wrote next. He said, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. In other words, James says, I think you need to be aware that within you, inside of you, there are sinful desires you have to deal with. This is why temptation has so much power. That inside of you, there are desires that if you just keep saying yes, it's going to take you to a place you don't want to be. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Here's a definition of a desire, okay? A desire is simply a thought attached to an emotion, a thought attached to an emotion. So a sinful desire is a thought about a need, a legitimate need that you and I have that we need met, but it gets attached to an emotion that leads us down the road where we try to meet this legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That's what a sinful desire is. We have a healthy need, but we are pulled, we are enticed, we are dragged, we are tempted to meet that healthy need in an unhealthy way. That's what sinful desire looks like. If, if you take the emotion out of it, it's actually not very tempting. But when you put emotion with a thought, suddenly it's hard to resist. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Here's how it looks. Let's say that um, I go over to your house this afternoon and we're hanging out and you walk in the other room for something and I'm left alone in your living room or in your kitchen and I look over and I see on the counter, maybe sitting under some stuff or I see on the table, a $100 bill. 
And the thought pops, who? That's right, who? And the thought pops in my head, I could take that $100. Now, you and I can't control every thought that pops in our head. All we're responsible for is, you know, we don't control what goes in there. We're just responsible for what we do with it. So that thought could pop in my head, and it's just a random thought. Oh, I could take that $100. Now, in a vacuum, with no emotion connected to that thought whatsoever, do you know how tempting it is for me to take your $100? Not at all. Not at all. Because without any emotion attached to it, it's like, well, yeah, but why would you do that? I could just move right on. But let me tell you where this gets tempting. Let's say that I see that and that thought pops in my head. And what's rattling around in my heart is the emotion of fear. Let's imagine that I'm in a situation where I'm really legitimately not sure I'm going to have enough money to feed my kids next week. Or I'm not sure I can get the electric bill paid and the lights may go off. Or I can't, you know, pay the rent and I won't be able to put a roof over the head of my family. Let's imagine that that emotion, that fear is so intense in me. And suddenly that thought pops in my head, you could take that $100, and then I allowed that emotion of fear to attach itself to that thought. Now, how tempting does it become at that point for me to take the 100 Much more tempting. And if I let that rattle around inside of me and I let that emotion continue to get a grip on that thought, the longer I let it go, the more difficult it is not to take your $100. Here's another scenario. Let's say that I see that, I think, well, I could take that $100. And what's rattling around inside of me is some bitterness, some resentment, some entitlement about you. Let's say that I've been doing some things for you and I didn't feel like you paid me what you should have paid me, you paid me what you promised to pay me. Let's say that you did some things to me that I just felt like, boy, they did me wrong. And all of a sudden, I've been dwelling on that, and that's a pretty strong emotion inside of me. And then I see that money, and then that thought pops up, and those two things connect. And that emotion starts churning inside of me with that thought, and suddenly I'm thinking, well, I should take that $100. They owe it to me anyway. Well, they deserve that because of what they did. You see how that works? And all of a sudden, it becomes much more tempting. It's much more difficult to just leave that $100 sitting on the counter when I could take it. This is what happens, and it's why temptation is so difficult. It's not because we have thoughts about doing things that aren't in our best interest. It's because those thoughts get grabbed, get snagged by an emotion. And the emotion is always based around some legitimate need that you and I have that we feel like needs to be met. But we begin to think about how we can meet that in an illegitimate way. And that emotion grabs hold of that thought, and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And it tempts us to do something unhealthy to meet a need that we have. This is why James describes it as we get dragged away by these desires. Because you know this, temptation never drags us uphill, does it? It always drags us downhill. And the further you go and the longer you let the emotion work in your heart, the faster and faster it moves. And suddenly, the temptation grows. It gains momentum. Until James says it reaches the point that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. See, the thought's not a sin. But the minute I let the emotion attach to the thought, and then I start mentally and physically acting on that, well, now I've crossed the line to a sin. 
And the problem with sin is this. Sin always comes with a price tag. Sin always comes prepackaged with a penalty. Some of you grew up in homes, and this is nothing against your mama, but you grew up in homes where your mama always told you, son, daughter, if you do that, God's going to get you. You ever have a mama say that? If you do that, God's going to get you. God doesn't have to get you. Sin will get you. It'll take care of itself. God doesn't have to mess with that. because, And you know this. We've all lived it. Every choice we make that's a sin, well, it comes built in with a consequence. It comes prepackaged with a penalty. It comes prepackaged with pain. It's just part of it. And eventually, according to James, sin when it's full grown will give birth to death. Now, ultimately, sin leads to all of us experiencing physical death, but I think James is referring to more than this. Sin also leads to the death of our integrity, to the death of relationships, to the death of a marriage, to the death of a parent-child relationship. Sin can lead to the death of family. Sin can lead to the death of financial dreams or future dreams. Sin can kill a lot of stuff. Which begs the question, why do we keep falling for it? But the answer is pretty simple. It's because while sin comes prepackaged with a penalty, the penalty never shows up immediately. This is, this is like, imagine this. Imagine if every time you sinned, it was like when you touch a hot stove. You immediately felt pain. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out real quick, I'm not going to keep doing that. The problem is, sin doesn't work that way. It has to get full grown before the consequence usually hits. So what happens in the immediate is this, pleasure. There's nothing negative about a sinful choice on the front end. This is why sometimes people make choices that are out of line with God's design, and they're like, well, I'm happier than I've ever been. Or they make a choice to walk away from God or walk away from faith, and they go, I'm happier than I've ever been. Of course you are, because that's how sin works. It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't fun. The problem is, eventually, it catches up to you. The consequence hits. The pain shows up. That pleasure on the front end often becomes a prison. Not a literal prison, although that probably explains why people end up there. But it's a prison in the sense of, have you ever made a choice and you were so happy and you thought it was the right thing and you were just so glad you did it and then down the road when the consequence hit, you found yourself with limited options. It got so painful and you started looking around trying to figure out how to fix it, how to clean up the mess, how to make it right, and you had no good options. You found yourself in a prison. That's what prison is, a place with very few, very limited options. And that's what sin does to us. It leads us right down the road. But on the front end, we don't see that. On the front end, we don't feel it. On the front end, again, we're trying to meet a legitimate need. And we have to be self-aware enough to figure out what's that need I'm trying to meet. Am I looking for security? Am I looking for intimacy? Am I, am I looking for purpose and meaning and adventure? Like, What is the legitimate need I'm trying to meet? You got to know what that is. But then you and I have to be aware enough to realize that if we try to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way, it will always end up creating a mess. And what was a problem at the beginning becomes a catastrophe at the end. So, how do you avoid that? 
When you find yourself in the middle of those situations, how do you have enough clarity? How do you have enough awareness to go, wait a minute, I'll see where this is leading. Because the reality is this. The reality is, if you're not careful, you will just live your life saying yes to desires and you won't even realize they're temptations. If you're accustomed to saying yes to whatever desire you have, you say yes to yourself. I want this, I get that. Okay, I'll just say yes way more and I'll say no. You'll never feel attention. And you'll always end up suffering the consequences. And then you won't be able to connect the dots and realize, wait a minute, that consequence came because I said yes to this desire back here. And you find yourself repeating it. This is how it works. It's how it works. This is why we've all had friends who were, you know, they started talking about their dating history or we watched their dating history and it was like, or sometimes marriage history. And it was like, you know, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, that one didn't work. And you talk to them about it and they're just like, I just can't pick a good man. I just can't find a good woman. And I'm looking at it going, well, there's only one common denominator here and it's you, 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 and you, right? You can trade out the other partners all you want. But while we, while we see that in others, we can do the same thing ourselves. You're looking at them going, why can't you connect the dots and understand there's a pattern here? When you make these decisions, when you follow these desires, it always ends up in the same place. But come on, be honest. We have done the same thing, haven't we? And some of us are still doing it right now. So how do you snap out of that? How do you avoid that trap? Well, James had some advice for us. Here's what he said. He said, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, because this is what temptation does. Temptation's goal is to deceive you. It's to fool you into believing something isn't true. And that something is this, that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Now, that may seem irrelevant to temptation, but it's not. Here's why James brings this up. Because when you have a legitimate need in your life, and you choose to try to meet that in an illegitimate way, you give in to temptation. The reason you do that, and none of us think of this consciously, but the reason you do that is because you actually don't believe you have a God in heaven who is good, who is wise, who is loving, and who is for you. Because if you really believe that, then you would be certain this legitimate need I have is a need that I, if I just follow what God's asking me to do, he'll meet it. We try to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways because we doubt God's goodness. That's what it comes down to. And so James is going, wait a minute, wait a minute. When you find yourself starting to get dragged away by desire, could you just pause and remind yourself, you have a God who's trustworthy. You have a God who's good. You have a God you can trust. Don't try to meet that healthy need in an unhealthy way. You, you just follow God and trust that he'll meet it in his way. You trust him. James warning. I think if he were here today, he would say the same thing to us he was saying to his first century readers. His warning is simply this. Don't let emotion create commotion, create a mess in your life. Don't let emotion lead you down a road that ultimately you don't want to go down. Now, this is so much easier to talk about than it is to do. And you know why? Because emotions cloud judgment, don't they? When you're feeling strong emotion, it's like you're in a fog. You cannot see with clarity 
what you're doing, the decisions you're making, and the outcomes they're going to have when you're feeling strong emotion. You just can't. This is why you have made some decisions that were not smart, that were not wise, that you ended up regretting. But you can look at your friends, and isn't this true? You have crystal clear clarity into the stupidity of your friends, don't you? You suck in the pre yeah. No elbows, no elbows, please. <clears throat> You're like, I've been telling her. She wasn't listening. You do, though, don't we? We do. When, when we watch a friend do something, we're like, what are you thinking? That'll never work. Of course you shouldn't borrow money for that. Of course you shouldn't be with them. Of course you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know. Don't make that decision at work. No, that'd be terrible. Don't. We have crystal clear clarity into the stupidity of our friends because there's no emotion involved for you. Why can't they see what you see? Because they're clouded, they're fogged by emotion. But the opposite is true as well. Your friends, they have clarity into your stupidity. But you don't see it and I don't see it. Because we got a need that we began to think about. And there was emotion that got attached to that. And it created a desire for us to meet a healthy need in a sinful, unhealthy way. And the emotion's so strong, we just want to meet the need. The emotion's so strong, we just want to do what we want to do. The emotion's so strong, we just want to go that direction. And you know this, again, we've all done it. This is why, even if you are aware enough to know this probably isn't a good idea, this isn't going to turn out well, you will actually argue with yourself and convince yourself a terrible idea is a good idea because you just want to follow and satisfy the emotion. And so James' point, listen, some of you, you're here right now. James' point is do not let that emotion create that kind of commotion, that kind of mess in your life. And some of you right now, you're on the verge of making one of those decisions. You're on the verge of making a decision that just feels good. It feels right. It's just what you want to do. And you've fooled yourself and convinced yourself it'll all work out and, you know, it doesn't for other people, but it'll be fine for me and all the things that we tell ourselves. But you're on the verge of making a decision that's going to be fun for a little while, but that sin will come prepackaged with a penalty and you can't outrun the penalty. Eventually, it's going to hit. And it's going to cost you way more than you want to pay. Some of you are on the verge of making a decision that's going to cost you your integrity. And if you just pause and ask yourself, is this thing worth losing my integrity? Well, the answer would be, of course not. But the emotion makes that difficult to see. Some of you are on the verge of losing your financial freedom. Some of you are on the verge of losing your peace of mind. Some of you are on the verge of losing a marriage, of losing a friendship. Some of you dads, if I could talk to you dads for a minute, I don't need to tell you moms this because y'all are smarter than us, but, but we dads need this reminder. That, of course, that guy named Amen, yes. But it's true. It's true. Listen, dads, here's the thing. You, I know what you want most when your kids grow up and they get out of the house. As a dad, what you're going to want most that day is you're going to want the respect of your kids. That's going to matter to you more than anything. You're going to want a relationship with your kids that is so strong that they want to come back and talk to you. 
they want to pick up the phone and call, that they want to see you, that they want your advice and your input and your perspective on things, that's the kind of relationship you're going to want with your kids one day when they're out of the house. But some of you are on the verge of making a decision right now, and it will cost you the respect of your kids. And listen, listen. Once you lose the respect of your kids, it is next to impossible to get it back. We've all seen it. So that thing that feels so good, that thing that feels so right, the thing that feels like it's my only option right now, it's just not worth it. And if 20 years from you now could look back, or 20 years from now you could look back and tell today you, you'd say don't do it. It's not worth what it's going to cost you here. But emotions cloud judgment. It fogs everything so we can't see down the road so we don't have any clarity. James would say, do not let that emotion create commotion in your life. Which leads to the question that we've all asked ourselves. Well, how do I avoid that when I'm in the middle of the emotion? That is so hard, isn't it? How do I avoid making those decisions and mistakes when there are all these desires in me that are saying, just go do it. Make the call. Head that direction. Don't worry about the future. Well, there are two things you can do in the middle of emotion that allow you to, to back out of the emotion, to clear away from the fog. There are two things you can actually do to help give yourself the same clarity that you have in the lives of your friends when they're making stupid decisions. You can actually get that clarity for your own life. The first thing you can do is this. You can create reminders that God is good and wise. Now, here's what I mean by this. You need to be intentional about creating some reminders for yourself. So when you're in the middle of the emotion, there's something there that says, whoa, 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 whoa. God's good. You don't have to go chasing a way to meet this legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You can trust God to provide to take care of that. You can keep following him. For some of you, it may be a time where God showed up in your past and it was so powerful and it was so meaningful, so encouraging. And you may need to take something from that experience and, you know, put it on your desk, put it at home somewhere. So you just see it and it reminds you. God's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful this time. I don't have to do this on my own. I'll give you some simple reminders that work really well. One is spending a little bit of time every day reading scripture and praying. The reason we talk about doing that is not so you, you know, check something off a list. I don't know about you, but every 24 hours, I need to recenter. I need to remind myself, wait a minute. In spite of all the desire and emotions swirling around me, in spite of the temptation I'm facing, God's good. He's wise. The way he says to handle this, it always turns out best. And when I'm reading scripture and praying, it just helps me remember that I'm following a God who really does care about me. It's a reminder. Same thing showing up at church here on Sunday. It's a point. Again, it's not checking something off a list. We just need these reminders where we gather with people and we sing and we, we listen to a message, but everything about the content and the experience is reminding us, no, 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 there's something bigger at work here. There's more at stake here. We need those reminders, don't we? One, one of the best things for me is being a part of a small group. Almost every Wednesday night when we're in town, we're all meeting as a group. And one of the things I love about it is it's a group of us who are, we're all trying to move in the same direction. And we're all honest enough with each other that when we see one of our friends 
When, when the people in my group see me about to make one of those stupid decisions, they have no problem telling me. And the, and the same's true. I don't mind telling them. But you got to have a few people like that, don't you? They're real friends because the emotion will cloud your judgment. So the first thing you can do that helps you to pull back, to get above the fog, to see the big picture, is just to create some ways to remind yourself consistently, no, 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 the emotion's pulling me in this direction, but I've got a God who's good and wise. I can trust him. He cares about me. The second thing you can do, and it's probably the most powerful of the two, the second thing you can do, Paul's going to tell you about next week. You got to come back, okay? It's the best one, so he wouldn't let me share it. So you got to come back next week for that. But what I would encourage you to do this week is simply this. How about if you start by trying to become aware? Aware of the emotions rattling around in your heart. Aware of where it's trying to drag you away. What if you spent some time creating some reminders for yourself when you're in the middle of all that and you just want to make that purchase? Oh, you just want to do that thing. You just want to send that message. You just want... What if you created some reminders that would just cause you to pause? You may not change your decision, but would you at least pause and be honest with, enough with yourself to go, wait a minute, I think this is what's going on. I think this is really why I want to do this. But I've got a God who's good, who's wise, who loves me. If I'll follow him, he'll take care of that need. I don't have to do it my way. Here's what I know. Nobody, including all of us, nobody wants to create a mess out of their life. The problem is very few of us are intentional with a plan not to create a mess. And if you're not intentional, a mess will just happen. If you're not intentional, you're going to end up going down a road you don't want to go down. So James would say to you and to me, do not let emotion create that commotion in your life. Pause. Remember. God really does care. You're not on your own. And trust him enough in those moments, as strong as the emotion may be, to still follow him. Let me pray for us. Father, to be honest, this is so difficult for us to do because so often the emotion is so strong. Sometimes we've said yes to our own desires so often, we don't even realize they're temptations anymore. It's just, it's just second nature to say yes to whatever we want. And then we fail to connect the dots and realize those yeses, following those desires and those emotions, will it? It led us straight into pain. So God, for those who right now, they're on the verge, they're in the middle of making a decision that if they were really honest with themselves, they probably know they're going to regret one day. God, for those who are on the verge of making a decision that's going to cost them more than they want to pay later on, would you help them? Would you give them the courage to be honest with themselves about it and to choose what they want most over what they want now? For the people who and this message is really hit home because they're on the backside of some of those decisions and now they're dealing with the messes, the pain, the consequences, the penalties. 
And they don't feel like there are very many good options for them. God, would you encourage them and remind them today that, and we're so grateful for this, that you, Jesus, showed up in the middle of our mess we created. You didn't walk away, you walked right in. You didn't lean away, you leaned right in. And you died and rose again to pay the penalty for all those sins. God, would you remind them that you are right there with them in the middle of the mess. And while they can't escape the consequence, if they will just turn to you, you'll redeem that pain and bring something good from it. Thanks for loving us enough not to leave us in our messes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Y'all have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed. <laughs>